Hello, and welcome to the App Fairy Podcast. My name is Carissa Christner. I am a children's librarian at the Madison Public Library, and I love to talk to app makers and find out what it is that motivates them to make apps. And I like to help you get to know them a little bit better, too, through these interviews. Today, we're going to be talking with the makers of the Tiny Bop apps. These guys make great apps for school-age kids, which is a slightly older audience than some of the other app makers that I've talked with recently on this podcast. And for this episode, we're going to try something a little bit different. About a year ago, I was totally enchanted when I heard an interview with Raul Gutierrez of TinyBop that was done by Kabir Seth of the Diversity in Apps podcast. Since then, the podcast has actually changed its name to Diversity Sauce. You'll have to tune in to find out why. It's a really great story. And they broadened their scope to talk more about diversity in children's media in general. Their podcast, Diversity Sauce, has some excellent content, and I definitely recommend listening to all their other episodes. But for today, they were kind enough to let us play for you part of the interview that Kabir did with Tiny Bop last year. I'll follow up today with a mini-interview that I did with Raul recently, but for now, let's take a listen to Raul speaking with Kabir of Diversity Sauce. So your your road to to Tiny Bop, um, from what I've read, has sort of been a, a roundabout path. You started out in Hollywood, sort of took a step back from that for a little while, then, but you stayed close to the industry. You ran your own sort of movie analytics um, firm for a little while, and then you moved to the East Coast and you got started with an art startup during like the early days of flash sales. That's that, correct. Is that right? That, and that's then, sort of roughly correct. <laughs> <laughs> and then your sort of inspiration for Tiny Bop actually came from your son. So how did how did that happen? Tell me that story. I've always been interested in children's books okay, and in kids' media. The one thing that my parents really spoiled us with were books. And mm-hmm. so we didn't have a ton of toys. We had a lot of books. Right. And then also I grew up in between Mexico and Texas. With children's media, especially in Mexico, it was always a little bit weird. Like you would get... Like we had all this Japanese stuff yeah. that was dubbed in Spanish. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, my, like, my favorite children's show is this show that, like, everybody in Mexico that's of my age knows. It's called Cometo-san, which is that which in Mexico they called uh, Senorita Cometa, which is is sort of like a Japanese bewitched. <laughs> wow. Uh, with these little animated characters, okay. it was dubbed in Spanish. It was kind of weird. Right. And I always love the weirdness of of children's books. And then when I had my own kids, you know, it was like they were my laboratory. Right, like, right. Uh, first of all, I had more kids' books than as a sort of reasonable party. <laughs> <laughs> it's like overflowing for um, shelf, right? And, you know, I couldn't wait to, you know, expose them to all these cool books. So for me, books were really the, the starting point. Mm-hmm. And then my kids were once we started to have iPhones and iPads in the house, my kids were really the first generation right. to see those or play with those as kids. My oldest son was born in 2004. You know, just when he was getting cognizant of the world is when the first iPads uh, and iPhones came out. Instantly, they became his favorite toy. He called them the everything machine, which mm-hmm. is actually now the name of one of our right. products. Right. And it's because for him, they were. They were they were tools. They were toys. They were their passive entertainment, active entertainment. They did all these. At the point when I started Tiny Bop, I was actually sort of searching for an idea, like many people who 
lead these kind of nonlinear lives. <laughs> um, I, I've done many things in my life, and sure. I, I've started a whole bunch of things. And and I knew I wanted to create a startup in mobile. I didn't know exactly where. I was looking at a whole bunch of other ideas that had nothing to do with kid stuff. Mm-hmm. My kid, who was who was he was in, like about to have his kindergarten birthday, came to me and he asked if he could trade his birthday party for an iPhone. To me, that just floored me because, right. like, if you know anything about at that age <laughs> about kindergartners, the birthday party is like the centerpiece of the year. You know, it's right. the way that they. They, if they're angry at a friend, they'll say, you're not coming to my birthday party, (laughs) you know. (laughs) The Um, ultimate insult. So the fact that he was willing to, like, sell out all his friends. uh, (laughs) (laughs) A different spin on it, Which he really cared about. (laughs) He really loved his friends. So the fact that he was willing to sell out all his friends for this device. Right. I just knew it had a lot of power over him, and I wanted to understand it because I, as a parent, especially as, like, my wife and I call ourselves people of the book, not so much in a religious sense, but just because our house is, we're worried that it's going to collapse because right. of all the books we have. Right. Um, that I was kind of threatened by the the, the screen, mm-hmm. uh, especially in context of kids. I just started deciding, I, I realized it was important and I wanted to understand it. And so not so much as a business thing or anything, I just wanted to understand what my kid was doing. What's and the appeal? Why was it so powerful for him? Right. What was the thing that was, that gave it this draw for him? And what I what I found ultimately was that it was it was the form. It's this incredible form because you're actually touching something, something's happening back. It's incredibly responsive. And many of the things that he was attracted to were tools. Mm-hmm. You know, he liked taking pictures and making movies and so on. Many were games that were game games that were actually not designed for kids. They were designed for adults, like casual games. Right. And back in sort of 2009, 2010, the game space for kids, I found, was really, really thin. There were there were a lot of apps that were designed around early numeracy and early literacy, which was fine and were great. But there were very few apps around a lot of the subjects that that I was really interested in and right. that my kids were really interested in, uh, which were sort of more sciencey subjects about the world. And the more I thought about it, and the more I thought about sort of my own childhood, like I grew up in a small East Texas town that's not known for anything good. <laughs> and, and, so, you get back there often? <laughs> not so much. I mean, it's a town split by train tracks into black and white. Sure. My dad was from Mexico. My mom was from New York. I was called the wetback Yankee. <laughs> that was like, that was my teachers right. called me that in right. school. I mean, we were one of the last federally desegregated school districts in the country. I mean, it was... It was a racially polarized, like, kind of backwards place. And it's changed a lot. (laughs) Things have changed and gotten much better. But back then, it was really isolated. And it was sort of like this island. And I always thought of it as this island, instead of being surrounded by water, it was surrounded by trees. Mm -hmm. And it was also, it was isolated in that we had one channel on the television and... Most mornings, it was just farm and ranch news with guy with a big cowboy hat. <laughs> um, <laughs> the radio was sort of country radio. There was no cable television. It was it was isolated. There right. were no bookstores. Right. There were you didn't have access to the outside world. And so for me, my escape was the library. I see. And I would go to the library, and I would go to the children's section, 
and they had sets of children's encyclopedias that 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 essentially gave you context for the world. Right. And the Childcraft Library. They had one book on space and one book on mammals and one book on dinosaurs. And through reading my way through that library, serendipitously, I sort of discovered what I was interested in. I discovered that there was a whole other world that was uh, outside, outside. Of, of where I was living. It gave me some understanding of that world. Right. In Mexico, I spent a lot of time in Mexico, too, with my grandparents. And it was another kind of island in that it was uh, my grandparents lived in Monterey, which is a big city. But we often would, in the summer, we'd go out to their ranch, which was in the middle of nowhere. And so then you were just cut off from everything. And 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 what I realized with, with iPhone and iPad was that Apple and Google have created, like, these amazing distribution systems that can reach everywhere. There was this way in which you could create content that could sort of reach out into all those little islands. Right, those kids that, who, are, who are in those isolated those islands. Those kids that yeah. are sort of out there everywhere. Right. And the Internet largely performs the same function. I mean, the Internet sort of connects people to all these things. But the Internet's a horrible interface for a six-year-old. Right. You cool. know, yeah. the, the thing about the Internet is you kind of have to know what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. And you have to sort of be motivated for a subject. The thing about the uh, a series of apps that is very affordable and that, that we try to make even more affordable to schools is that parent buys the whole series and they have this set of apps that that explains the world. It's that same serendipitous. It's not exactly an encyclopedia, but it's a way to understand these various subjects. Right. And so from the beginning, my goal was I I wanted to build apps that covered these subjects that my kids were interested in. I wanted to make them as beautiful as these children's books that I'd always loved and as weird. Childhood's weird. The way that children see the world is... Is, is a little strange. There are so much children's media that is just extremely straightforward. And it's, it's like, it's the bright colors and like the cute character. And, and that's not necessarily how kids see the world. I wanted each app to have this maybe touch of strangeness, strangeness to it. Sort of little by little, we, we came up with this idea for our company. From the beginning, the big the big ideas were that we wanted to be inclusive because we wanted to reach these islands of people and and you can be in an island in a big city just if you come from a bad economic situation in which you know maybe you don't have a house full of books that said the iPhones and iPads are are fairly universal by by 2018 it's predicted that virtually every adult on earth is going to have a smartphone in their pocket right and so our question is, how do we, at a very low price, provide a lot of great quality media? And then our next challenge, of course, is to like get people to actually download it, give it away to schools, and, sure, and, sure. and, and so on and so on. So when you're, you touched on this a little bit, um, you know, you looked at sort of the back in 2010 what the um, what kids apps look like, mm-hmm. and your design philosophies, as I think you've said it more than once, is sort of designed for quiet as opposed to designing with sort of gamification or badges and and what what sort of made you, was that as a result of research? Obviously you had your children as your first lab rats, but was that Part of it was was it was that idea of like, I, I started asking myself, why does screen time really bother me so much as a parent? 
And it's because I would see that with many things that were so-called kids' apps, that they were designed to essentially overstimulate kids. Mm -hmm. They were using what are essentially gambling algorithms or ga uh, gaming loops that encourage, you know, you have to hit the button. It's like this Pavlovian uh, loop that it leads kids really jangled. Mm -hmm. I mean, kids, especially at that age, they every parent knows that they can be overstimulated. And when a kid is overstimulated, they're often like kind of foul-tempered and <laughs> in a bad mood. And, and you can't like take the, it away. The yeah. minute you take the iPad away, then suddenly they're, you know, they're just like awful. Right. And so I wanted to do the opposite. I wanted to do what a good book does and what a good science experiment does. Um, we use the, the term of art. It's not our term, uh, but it, it, we wanted to create explorable explanations. Each app is essentially a working model of the thing. It, in the, we have two series. Each app in yeah. the Explorer's Library is essentially a working model of the thing that we're trying to show. So the human body, it's a little model of the body. Right. You feed it, you know, food goes in one end, poop right. comes out you the other end. You tap the eye. Um, you tap the eye and we blinks. use the camera to show how it works. It blinks. But it's accurate. It's not dumbed down for kids. Right. You know, if you turn on the labels in our kids' app, there are medical schools that are using the app as a way to have people learn various parts of the body. So we don't dumb things down. They're accurate. Our Simple Machines app, all those, like, little interactions with the little six simple machines, yeah. they're all – the physics are right. Yeah, I we know. I do it with my son, the bicycle one. I lo he loves that one. So, so. we spent a lot of time to, to – like, make sure that the physics were the correct physics. Right. The the hope is that in creating this, this quiet experience, one that doesn't have a soundtrack that's kind of running behind it, that doesn't have this, this sort of gamification loop, that you will slow kids down enough so they want to explore. And that's where the slight touch of weirdness comes mm -hmm. in. It's because, you know, we have to give kids a reason to explore these things. We, we have a weather app. And a lot of weather stuff, it's a sunny day, it's a cloudy day. You know, how do you show that in an interesting way? We have these strange people that <laughs> populate this land that have, like, right. antlers, you know, for no particular reason <laughs> other than it just creates this mood that, that's mysterious and that, that, that draws kids in. And I think that when we do our job, what happens is that the output of the apps is is not that the kid sort of knows everything about the subject. It is that your child would ask you questions. We design our Explorers Library series so that children will ask questions. Right. We're not we, we do we hope that some of the answers are embedded in the interactions. You know, in our human body app, what's the most important thing about the skeletal system? Holds the body up. So if you remove the the spine they it falls collapse, down, right. and, and the, hopefully that idea is embedded in that. But the real goal of that whole series is to start conversations between parents and teachers and kids. When we've done our job, the kids are full of questions. And in fact, one of my favorite negative comments that we got on the App Store, so, uh, one, somebody gave us a one-star review, and this woman said, I leave my kid at home with the iPad, and when I come home, she's just full of questions. I'm like, lady, this is... It's not a babysitter. <laughs> yeah, this is the point. <laughs> the point is I want you to talk to your kids. And so with that series, that's that's the, the goal. We have this whole other series. The Digital Toys. Digital Toys series. Each of those apps in that series are a construction kit. The idea there is it's it was the anti-Legos. Yeah, uh, I know. You've gotten it, a little... 
flack for this. Right? Yeah, and well, and and you know, I guess any, you didn't mean to take a shot directly at Lego. It's just the no, I did, I did. <laughs> like modern Legos. Oh, okay, uh, I should are, say are, only Lego. Yeah. I, first of all, I love Lego. I love a lot of things about Lego, but a lot of the way that modern Legos are sold is as a disassembled toy. Right. That kids follow instructions and they get to a single endpoint and they put it on their shelf and, and then sort done. of gradually it falls apart. And then, you know, all the pieces go the into a bin and they lost the instructions and it's done. <laughs> and, they, and then you buy the next one. Legos, when I was a kid, were blocks. And I think this is why Minecraft is so successful. I mean, blocks are sort of the ultimate. Any, you know, if you have sort of blocks that can kind of be interchanged and built into anything, all you need is a little bit of a context. And if you have, here in the office, we have square Lego blocks and Kids come over and they're like, oh, I don't know what to do with them because they're the modern kids that have only, <laughs> you know, known that you have to follow the instructions. Right, where are the instructions? And I'll say, well, build a zoo. And a lot of times there's this like slight moment of confusion, and then there's quiet, and then you come back and there's this like beautiful little zoo, and they feel really proud of it. Right. Um, well, that's basically what digital toys is. Every app in that series is a construction kit built around a context. So the first one's a robot factory. You have a whole bunch of robot parts. They all are autonomous. You have, like, spider legs and humanoid legs and uh, all sorts of, like, slithery legs or whatever. And you put them on bodies, but we're not telling you how to do it. The kid's creating their own narrative. And if we've done our job right, at the end of that app, the kid is going to have a story and a name that's something that we didn't imagine, Mm -hmm. that's something that's... completely like out of our our experience and we were just in a in a class deep in brooklyn and and benson hearst the other day and the teacher is using it in our kindergarten as a storytelling and 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 as part of their storytelling and poem uh, workshop and basically each kid in the class created a robot and then she asked them to tell the story and the range of stories that the kids came out with was amazing because right. some the kids were avatars for themselves and some they were the parents and some they were some super or something or other that they had hoped they could be. And we see the same thing in the office. We have a great video where we just invited kids from Brooklyn and we asked them what what their robots were. And one kid's like, Mike, mine's a robot butler. You know, he brings me food, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's this other little girl that was like, my robot likes fancy hotels. She likes cheese sandwiches. To me, those apps are successful when it's not something that's been created from our imagination. It's something that the kids, we've just given them the push and the context. Right. It's like the set of blocks and you say build a zoo and yeah. then they're they're building their own zoo. Right. So um, a couple questions. How do you, you, you said this a couple times, we know we've done our job, right? How have you sort of measured these things? It sounds like you, you guys go into schools. We go into schools, each app we test in schools. We have a, a range of, of local schools that we work with. Uh, we bring kids in here ads on Craigslist or, you know, school listservs or whatever. And we have, we do play testing in the office. Uh, I do informal testing because there are some things that happen in the office. If a kid's sitting there and playing the app, they're different than when you're at a birthday party and there's like 16 the kids. Other I, I have a couple of magic iPads that have like every popular everything <laughs> on there and they're Minecraft and everything else. And then I put our apps on those pages. I see if they 
how long they're going to play our app, mm-hmm. how quickly they're going to switch to something else, uh, whether they keep coming back. There are many kids, especially kids that have only been used to these fast games. The first time they come to our game, our apps, they're they're a little disoriented. Sure, I don't know what to do. Yeah, we're not telling them what to do. Right. I would uh, imagine the the way I've seen it when a kid has has touched your app is the first question is usually so now what do I do? Yeah. And and I think it's almost like you like that. You expect that and, and a- absolutely. Yeah. And I mean you have to give them a reason to come back. But hopefully usually it's you know the artwork or some small thing that even if they quit they'll start and they'll quit the app because they don't know what to do. They'll, they'll think about it and then they'll come back. Yeah. Once they come back then you start to see these kind of long explorations. Wasn't that a great interview? If you'd like to hear the rest of it, be sure to check out the Diversity Sauce podcast and look for episode four. For now, though, I've got Raul Gutierrez on the phone with me for a few follow-up questions since that interview was about a year ago. Welcome to the App Fairy podcast, Raul. Hi. Hi. Um, Just a couple of quick questions first. Uh, Where are your offices located? Uh, We are in downtown Brooklyn on Atlantic Avenue. Oh, very nice. All right, so right here in the United States. How many staff do you have? Uh, we have about uh, 22 people, depending on how you count them, uh, and we have a few people around the world. Nice. So you've got um, a couple of – you've got a pretty big staff, and you have people that are in different parts of the world too? Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, so one of the big questions that this podcast likes to focus on is this question of – joint media engagement. Um, And you mentioned in your interview with Kabir, you had a story of that negative review um, from a kid who had too many questions, that this mom was upset that (laughs) that their child was asking too many questions after they used your app. And that's clearly a really great way to encourage joint media engagement. But do you have other elements or do you want to talk more about that in your app design that specifically encourage connections between people? Sure. Uh, Well, you you know, from the beginning, uh, our app, uh, have an inquiry-based uh, philosophy around them. So we try to show rather than, than to tell. And we try to embed, uh, we try to embed learning in interactions. So rather than having a page of text, um, we will have uh, the app you know, do something that should reveal uh, the meaning. Um, Oftentimes, uh, the thing that is happening is something that it's new to a kid. You know, a lot of times if a kid is looking at something in space or in the inside of an elephant or, uh, you know, in a cold front, it's not something that they've experienced before. So so they will logically and naturally have questions, uh, and we want those questions to come out to parents and, and, and educators. Um, we designed for parents and for educators uh, a series of handbooks that answer a lot of those questions and go through the learning goals of the app. Um, The apps can be played and are fun without those, but with those, it really adds to the experience. And um, for me, I mean, that's the most fun part of of the app is uh, sitting uh, with uh, a kid and and asking them, you know, uh, what they're seeing. Yeah, you know, you mentioned your handbooks, and I just want to make sure that listeners out there have found your handbooks because those are amazing. Those are probably the best 
um, resources for any apps that I've seen out there about ways to not just dig deeper into the app, but also learn more information about the topic that is that is at hand, right? Um, and they're in so many different languages too. They're just really fantastic. So thank you for designing those and including those in your app. Yeah, and, and I don't know if you uh, are aware of our Me app. It came about during the election last year. Um, and we didn't mean it to have any connection to the election, but what was interesting was that, that it ended up that way. Um, the MEAP is a self-portrait app. It's a, an app in which a kid can, uh, they start by creating an avatar of themselves and of the people in their lives. So it could be parents and friends, teachers, and they create little visual representations of, of all those people um, and soon their pets. Um, so we uh, let them create those things. And then we have hundreds of questions uh, within the app that we ask about each of those people in their lives, and they can answer them uh, with a drawing or uh, by telling a story, recording their voice, or writing something. And the idea is that um, little by little, um, we start to reveal uh, not just a portrait of yourself, but of you know a kid's whole world. And what's interesting about that is that a lot of times, um, we're asking kids how they feel about something or why they, uh, uh, you know, why they like something or why they don't like something. And um, what we started seeing very early on during testing, I saw with my own kids, is that um, uh, during the election there were a lot of big feelings about things that were going on. Um, I think there were a lot of parents that were uh, very emotionally invested in the election, and uh, kids didn't really have a space to talk about it. Um, and so the app was this really interesting way um, for those feelings to come out. And uh, you know, I saw it with my own kid. Um, I'm, I'm, I always say I'm the the most unlikely looking Mexican, um, but I'm I'm Mexican Irish. I probably look more Irish than Mexican. My wife is Korean. Um, so my kids are like, you know, they have the Mexican last names, but they're sort of Asian looking. Um, but in their school, uh, you know, like many places in the country, it was very divided over the election. Uh, there were some really vocal uh, uh, Trump supporters who at one point uh, surrounded a Hispanic teacher and were chanting, build the wall, build the wall, build the wall. Um, my son was super upset by this, but didn't really have a place to talk about it. You know, it was something he saw, it was, you know, uh, and interestingly, it, it came out in the app. Uh, and so in the middle of that process, you know, well, I think one of the questions was, you know, what what is something that has happened recently that you wish you could tell, you know, or tell to a parent? Um, and... You know, at that moment, I knew that this app was worth every penny we were spending on it because uh, it opened up a whole line of conversations that have actually uh, continued through the election and with other parents and, and, and so on and has been uh, really important to me and my family. And we hear feedback uh, in this app that's like that. That's, that's amazing. That is an incredible story. And, um, yeah, truly a testament to 
the power the, that apps can have that can be surprising to everybody, but that can really dig deep. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I mean, the, the, uh, especially, uh, I mean, I, I think there are a lot of people that, that, they, that they have a sort of knee-jerk reaction to any screen, um, and they, they think of them all as equivalent, and they think of, you know, anything that's on a screen as, as instantly being negative. But I, I look at, at apps like I do any other media. It's just like there are good books and, and books that are probably a waste of time. Um, there are apps that are thoughtful, and, and then there are others that aren't. They can really be something that add to the way that kids see the world and experience the world and, and understand the world. Yep, I agree. In fact, that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this podcast is to try to make sure that more people hear about um, app developers like you and like the other really high-quality app developers that are out there so that they make sure that they're getting some really good stuff for their kids when they are spending time on the screen. Let's talk a little bit about your artwork. So I super love the weird factor, as you called it, in your art. And I really enjoy how each different app has a different artist. And it kind of gives each app its own unique flavor, but somehow they're all still very distinctly tiny bop. So I'm curious, at what point in the process are artists chosen? Uh, the artist is, it's pretty much the first thing that we do uh, in each app. Okay. I mean, we choose a title internally, right. and we, we say, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is a subject uh, we want to, to cover. And we, you know, we have our own sort of rubric about, uh, you know, what makes sense for us to cover. I mean, there, there are all sorts of things I would love to cover, but also probably aren't economically viable. Right. Um, but uh, so we, you know, we have sort of this internal process, and that process uh, involves uh, us choosing a subject and we have a rubric for that subject that we go through and we try to align it with uh, the rest of the apps we're doing in the market. Then uh, the first thing that we do is we go through these big sets of lists that we have that a lot of the people in the company contribute to. And we have favorite artists. We have artists that we would love to work with, um, people that we have design crushes on, um, (laughs) And we're always, you know, out there looking for uh, new talent. Um, I think we've learned over the years. So there are some types of artwork that are easier to work with than others. So, um, for example, a vector art is really easy to work with, and hand-drawn art is harder to work with. But I grew up with children's books and loving children's books. And so I'm always trying to push our artwork to uh, not to lavishly copy a a children's book, but to have the same level of care that you might have. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, ultimately what we're trying to do is to make something new and, and, and something that is right for its own medium. So our, our human body app, for example, is our first app. Uh, A lot of that artwork was hand drawn, but, it was referencing um, things like uh, Charlie Harper. It was referencing German uh, body uh, uh, artwork that you might have in a classroom in in, uh, 1960s Germany. Um, Yeah, I can totally see that. So, uh, you know, if you look at that, uh, that app and you look in the digestive system, you'll notice that the uh, the food kind of look like emojis, <laughs> the quality of emojis. And 
for us, that was part of what made the whole thing come together and made it feel like it's it's not a copy of a book. It's its own thing. And and that's when what made it really get excited is is when, uh, you know, something feels new. So do you feel like sometimes the artwork decisions or the styles influence the development of the app? For instance, like in the Monsters app, was that originally intended to have that kind of slightly creepy vibe from the beginning, or was that enhanced once you saw the style of the art? Uh, you know, it's sort of, I mean, I think kids uh, in, that, uh, in that app in particular, we just fell in love with that artist. She has a sense of humor just about everything, mm-hmm. uh, and she's that type of person. And so, I mean, the, the, with that app, the, the, the Venn diagram for that app was we, we talked to kids in different places around the world, and we asked them, you know, what they thought about monsters. And what we found was that in different parts of the world, kids have different concepts of what mo- monsters are. Oh, and yeah. So in China, for example, monsters tended to be like creatures. They tend to be animals. Um, in, I forget where it was, in some other part of the world, um, monsters tended to be, um, like spirits of the dead. Uh, you know, we're in the U.S., we have a very kind of elaborate monster, uh, uh, culture. So, yes. <laughs> you know, it was the most broad here. But, but what we noticed was that in the Venn diagram of children's monster stories, there was always... Uh, or there was this through line in which kids would say that when they're most scared is when they're in bed. And there's like, there might be shadows on the wall, uh, you know, from, from a tree or something outside. And that's when they see monsters. So we wanted to start with that and then give kids agency over that experience. So they're starting with the shadows and this sort of shadowy thing on the wall. And then little by little, they get to choose, and they get to create the monster. Um, and it's a little like, you know that Ed Emberly book, uh, The Way, Big Green Monster? It's, it's this book that gives kids agency because they get to build the monster and then they get to make it go away. And to, um, don't come back until I say so. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Um, and so it was a little bit uh, of inspired by, by that kind of thing in which a kid can can make the monster as as scary or not scary as they want. Um, I remember my niece, uh, who was probably too young to be playing with the app, but she was like two or three, and um, she was making a monster and like really having fun cracking up, and at some point she put a mouth on, and the mouth was just too scary, and she dropped the iPad. (laughs) 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 And, uh, you know, I I said, oh, you know, do you want to put it away and not play anymore? no, 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 and then she grabbed it again and, and took the mouth off and put another one off. But you're right, that's a perfect example of how kids can then just realize, oh, I have control over this monster, and I can I can make it the way I want it to look, and that's a real feeling of empowerment. That's fantastic. Yeah, and I think there's a fine line in, in children between a fear that is, you know, feels out of control and, and something uh, spooky that is kind of fun and funny, too. Yeah, I agree. Um, excuse me, hello? Hi, uh, Raul, is it? Is that your name? That is my name. Hi, I'm the App Fairy, and I like to come in and ask questions that kids have brought in for the podcast. And so today we have a question from Gabriel from Madison, 
And he wanted to know, and this is kind of a strange question. I hope you understand what it means. He wanted to know, why is there a laser cat in Infinite Arcade? Also, he wants to let you know that he thinks the robots are pretty cool. There is a laser cat in Infinite Arcade because it is well known uh, as a fact in, in my little company that I do not like cats. I am the dog person. And people in my company often put cats secretly in our apps. Uh, because they know that I am not a fan of them. It's their little joke. So uh, there is a laser cat in Infinite Arcade. I think there's actually one in the robot factory as well. Oh, I'll have to let Gabriel know that he should look for that in the robot factory too. I'm sure he'll be delighted with that answer. Thanks so much for talking to me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, App Fairy. Thanks for visiting, and thanks for that great question from Gabriel from Madison, Wisconsin. To wrap up our interview, Raul, did you have any last stuff? I know it's been about a year since your other interview that you had with Kabir. Are there other things that you wanted to make sure that our listeners knew about? Uh, sure. It's uh, In the last year, we've been very busy. Um, we have launched uh, five apps probably uh, since, um, since that interview. Um, those include uh, skyscrapers, so let's you build your own skyscraper space uh, that takes you on a tour of the solar system, uh, mammals, which is a little like the human body except with elephants and sloths and a bat, um, and it goes really deep. I think mammals is, is one of the best apps we've ever made. Um, and then the Infinite Arcade and me. One little secret is that uh, from June 1st through June 8th, uh, the Robot Factory will be freeing, so anyone can download it and try it out. That is an excellent tip, so we'll make sure our listeners know about that. Thanks very much. The last thing is that we just launched on Android. It's our first several apps in the Explorer's Library series. On Android, we're launching as a subscription, which means that you have to download a key app. That is, The subscription is $10 a year. Um, so the key app uh, unlocks uh, all the apps that are available on Android. Uh, we're, right now, there are uh, five apps that are available and we'll continue to grow uh, and add apps to that as we go along. So eventually, that $10 will unlock all of your apps on Android? So right now, there's five available. Home, Simple Machines, The Earth, Weather, and Skyscrapers. Uh, a little later this summer, Space will be available and The Human Body uh, later this year and we'll continue to add to the series as we go. That sounds like a really good setup. I'm not um, always a fan of subscriptions, but that sounds like a really nice way to get into the Android market and for people to be able to access lots of your apps uh, for a very very reasonable price. And so I'm really excited that you're doing that. We think it's a, a good deal for parents. And on Android, it seems to be a model that uh, might work better than paid apps. Uh, paid apps on Android are just not a model that seems to work well for almost anybody. Well, good luck. I really hope that the subscription service works, and I will make sure that, well, definitely all of our listeners here will know, and I'll be sure to spread the word on my library's app review page. I do reviews for our local news station here, and so I'll talk about that there too so that lots of people know that they can trust you like I trust you to make fantastic apps. Every app that you make, I know I can download without even having to really think about it because I know you always do super high-quality stuff. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, that's uh, much appreciated, and it's it's why we we go to work every day, and and uh, we hope uh, we can continue to make great stuff. We have a lot of fun uh, doing it, and and we can tell you have a lot of fun. That's awesome. 
Thanks so much today for coming and talking to uh, us on the App Fairy podcast, Raul. It's been really nice to have you here. Thank you very much uh, as well. Hey, you there, Carissa! Oh, no. Is that you, Bad App Fairy? Of course it is. Who else else have voiced this scratchy? Hey, I was listening to the rest of the interview on diversity sauce. Wait, you were listening to it right now while we were still having the interview? Yeah, yeah. Who cares about what you have to say? I want to hear what Kabir has to say. He's got great stuff. Anyway, I noticed that um, Raul was talking a lot about Tinybop's commitment to inclusivity in their app design. You know, like making sure that kids of lots of different races see themselves reflected in their apps. Yeah, I remember that part of the interview. Um, That's in the part that people can listen to if they want to hear the rest of the interview on their original podcast, right? Yeah, that's it. Okay, well, what about it? Well, that reminded me of one of my favorite things to look for in a bad app. Cultural stereotypes and cultural appropriation. Oh, those are pretty big words, bad app fairy. What do you mean by that exactly? Well, you know, like when an app developer with no actual ties to Native American culture decides to include a character with a big headdress on, or maybe incorporates totem poles in a really inappropriate and disrespectful way, or, you know, design choices like these made without consulting members of the population being portrayed can often perpetuate stereotypes and can ultimately be harmful to kids of those cultures who choose to use their apps. And, you know, I just love stuff that's harmful for kids. Eesh, bad app fairy, you're right. Um, cultural appropriation in apps is definitely not okay, but what about all of the apps that just avoid the issue by not including any diversity at all? Yeah, well, that's a whole nother set of issues. Luckily, the same people who have created the Diversity Sauce podcast also have a website at www.joinkidmap.org. That's join, J-O-I-N, kidmap, K-I-D-M-A-P, Dot org, O-R-G, that includes a really helpful toolkit to help app developers think more deeply about how to make their apps more inclusive for all users. What? A free toolkit that's easy for app makers to use? Oh man, that is really going to cut down on all those juicy, culturally inappropriate apps that I love so much. What a bummer. Well, Bad App Fairy, I really hope it does cut down on them. I'm sure that you'll still be able to find lots of bad apps to love. Hmm, that's true. There never seems to be a shortage of really bad apps. Hooray! Well, I'm out of here. Bye! Hmm, see you later, bad app fairy. Thanks so much for listening today. The App Fairy Podcast is a production of the Madison Public Library and is sponsored by the Heising Simons Foundation and the Joan Gans Cooney Center, a nonprofit research and innovation lab dedicated to advancing children's learning in a digital age. Visit cooneycenter.org, that's C-O-O-N-E-Y center.org, for more information about the work they do. If you'd like more information about the podcast, be sure to check out our website at www.appfairy.org, where we'll post lots of goodies online for you to enjoy. A big thanks to Audrey Martinovich, our audio engineer, David Seste, who created our theme music, and Hannah Sanvold, who designed our fantastic artwork and brought the App Fairy to life. My name is Carissa Christner. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Oh, boy, my voice is really squeaky today. <coughs> Let me try that again. Actually, Audrey, maybe I'll get some water. Ah, much better. Okay, okay, okay. So today's hidden gem is called Odd Bot Out. That's O-D-D. B-O-T, as in short for robot, out, O-U-T. And it's an app by Martin Magni.
This app is really great for elementary age school kids and older kids, or maybe an older preschool kid who might like playing this with an older sibling or a parent, but it's a little bit more complicated than just preschool kids can do on their own. Basically, this is about a tiny robot that didn't pass his um, factory inspection and he gets stuck inside the factory. And unfortunately, there's about a hundred different challenge levels that players have to go through to help him get out of the factory. Although that's fortunate for you because that means a long time of gameplay. In order to get through the level, there's all sorts of interesting physics challenges like having to build a set of stairs with some square blocks or knowing which order to press the buttons to raise or lower levers or draw bridges. The design is very clean and simple, but the gameplay is challenging enough for both adults and kids, making it a perfect app for everyone to play together. I'm sure that you'll love it. If you do, be sure to check out Mikorama. That's M-E-K-O-R-A-M-A by the same app maker. It's another one with a robot, but this time it's in 3D. I'm sure you'll love it too. Enjoy it. Bye-bye.